everyone. Welcome back or welcome to another edition of the 20% Podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. Boy, am I excited to introduce today's guest, Joe Jacoby. Joe is a former Olympic gold medalist. Currently right now, he is also a performance coach and a writer of Sunday Morning Joe, which is Joe's weekly inspirational weekly email newsletter. It isn't every day that you get to talk to an Olympic gold medalist. And Joe is also my first international podcast guest. He's currently living outside of Spain, right outside where he won the 1992 Olympics. It was so great to get inside the mindset of a former Olympian. And as you'll soon find out, Joe is truly a unique and genuine person. In our conversation, we discussed his Olympic mindset, overcoming obstacles where he had some awesome metaphors, his relationship with nature, what he'd be teaching in a college 101 class, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Joe Jacoby. Joe, welcome to the show. Tyler, it's great to be here. It's great to be chatting with a fellow Talent Champions Council member. Yes, and that's what I wanted to start this off. Uh, this has been an incredible group of people. Scott McGregor uh, introduced a group called Talent Champions Council. I'm going to give give Scott a little plug here. Um, he's really bringing professionals across all industries, kind of similar to what my mission is here, um, bringing everybody together so that they could learn and grow and adapt together. Um, and it, it, it's been amazing. It, it has introduced so many me to so many people, so many experiences. And, and this is why Joe and I are having the conversation today. So, so Scott, thank you so much again. Uh, if you want to learn more about the TCC and what that's all about, reach out to Scott McGregor or, or myself or Joe or, or anybody. We're more than happy to, to have you join the tribe. So uh, Joe Jacoby, welcome to the show again. Could you just let everybody know? Um, well, Joe won an Olympic gold medal. So before, which is, you know, it's incredible to be talking to you and I can't wait to dive into to that experience. But I mean, before that, Joe, could you just tell everybody who you are and, and just at your core, who is Joe Jacoby? Yeah, I, well, listen, I, I think every, every morning, you know, I do a journaling exercise and I try to um, reflect exactly on, on that question. I, I got to tell you that you know, I'm someone that really identifies a lot more with verbs than nouns. So like, I, I'm not really big on identities for me. I'm always thinking about like, what are the actions that like really are important to me? And so um, the three things that I always think about, you know, early in the morning, I think about the quality of my relationships and the focus of, of my relationships. I, it's not about how many, it's just really being attentive to the ones that are super important to me and just bring so much, uh, you know, filling of the bucket, so to speak, uh, uh, to my life. Uh, secondly is my health. Um, I try to, I love being outdoors. I love being in nature. Um, I think that uh, it, relative to relationships, I don't think nature is this thing that just kind of solves a, a disconnection problem for us. Nature is what I've learned at 51 years old is that, I mean, nature is its own relationship. It's its own living, breathing thing. And, and, and I treat nature as such. And so um, my health and wellness and how I move outside in nature is really important to me. And third is my creativity. Um, I love to write. Um, I love to express myself. And by the way, I mean, it wasn't very just a few years ago that I, I didn't like doing that, or I, I was scared of doing that. I, I write uh, a weekly blog called Sunday Morning Joe that I've been writing for six years. 
where I write about um, improving performance, overcoming challenge and aligning with purpose. And um, that's been a great project. But I, like a few years ago, I never would have been the type that would have um, kind of shared not the things that uh, you know, made me an Olympic champion or anything like that. But I talk a lot more about you know, my vulnerable vulnerabilities, uh, overcoming, you know, how to how to work with the noise, the friction, uh, the resistance, you know, the things that the distractions that really get in our way of, of, of doing very simple tasks that, you know, move our needles forward every day. And what caused that switch? Because I think a lot of people are probably afraid to maybe do something that's out of their comfort zone. What did it take for you to, to start that six years ago? Yeah, well, it, that part, I, it's important to probably go a little bit earlier back, uh, um, Tyler, um, at one point, um, I was the chief executive officer of USA Canoe Kayak, which is the national governing body for Olympic and Paralympic canoeing in the United States underneath the umbrella of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And it's really the only time in my life that I've ever you know, had like a conventional job with a paycheck and I was the CEO of the, of the organization. First couple of years of the five years on the job were just horrible. I mean, I was really good at taking care of everyone else, but I didn't take care of myself. Um, what I thought was my dream job was like quickly becoming a nightmare. And I think in the process of taking care of everyone else, I, I lost myself in that process. And that kind of manifested in different ways. Um, you know, I put on a lot of weight. I was really irritable. You know, my temperament was was just off. Um, I just, it, it's like in the, the, often today, you know, when life, where life is a, in a better place for me, I like to say, you know, small steps forward every day, you know, the small steps forward every day. But the same thing is true for small steps backwards every day. I mean, it, we, we want to be positive, but the truth is, is that a little bit of bad habits repeated every day will, will move you down the wrong way. And that's kind of where I got to in my life. But I found this one point at USA Canoe Kayak where um, I kind of got over the excuses that I would tell myself for not taking action and not creating some change. And I started to change just really, really slowly. I actually started uh, initially, well, there were two things that I started at, kind of at one time. Uh, one, there was, um, I did a little bit of journaling where I was um, just five minutes of picking up a notebook and a, and a pen every morning and answering three questions in my journal. And then during lunchtime, uh, I was based in Oklahoma City at the time at the Oklahoma City Boathouse Foundation. And this was right at the new year, beginning of 2012. And we did like an employee wellness program during lunchtime. I didn't have any goal of losing weight or doing anything. It was just trying to break some bad habits and change some bad patterns. And it was great. Like it just gave me a chance to have fun with my friends, play games, move my body a little bit differently in the middle of the day. And just very slowly over time, very, very slowly over time, you know, I began to kind of get my physical health back, which then kind of led me to kind of question myself, what, what, what can I do to be a little bit more creative? Um, what can I do to expand the nature of my relationships? And then finally, how do I kind of tie this spiritual side of it um, in, into the equation? And at the end of that process, I knew I was kind of ready to move on from this dream job. I, I had, was performing much better at my work. I was enjoying the work a lot more, but with my own improvement that I had made in my own health, trying to figure out ways to share that and have more conversations about that 
started to seem more appealing to me than just helping uh, a very few, very few super talented canoeing athletes try to win gold medals at the Olympic Games. I, I think that's a very noble pursuit, but the idea of actually transferring these, these high-end, high-performance uh, sports concepts to, uh, to doing, performing better in business and in life that, and helping a lot more people, that, that seemed more appealing to me. Absolutely. And I can't even imagine it. And that's incredible that you're, you're on that journey as well, because I mean, I, I want to dive into some of the Olympic journey later on. Um, but I mean, like you stood at the podium for our, for the country wearing the gold medal, fulfilling probably one of the top athletic feats that you could have. So, I mean, I can't even imagine it, it's so cool that you're able to take some of those lessons and those things that you've learned and bring it back to everyday life. Because I mean, do you know of any stories? I'm sure people probably struggle of once they hit that top level from an athletic standpoint. I mean, what is it like coming back down to just the everyday day-to-day -day life outside of athletics then? I mean, do you see people struggling from that? I mean, I, I could have- Yeah, there's, uh, I, I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the documentary, but Michael Phelps ha is part of a new documentary that's out about the levels of depression and, and the Olympic movement. I mean, we have- we have lost athletes who have died by suicide um, because, you know, the, whether it's the stress, whether it's depression, whether it's trying to find the help and support that athletes need, I think this can happen on the journey. It can happen af after the journey uh, that it's an adjustment. It's an adaptation. And um, I know it, this is a very, everyone's journey is like their own unique fingerprint. But I think you raise a really important point, but there are some very high profile athletes that are speaking out about this topic right now. You know, uh, Apollo Antonano is, mm -hmm. is in the documentary, Michael Phelps uh, as, as well. And I mean, hearing their stories is, is very humbling. I think it's very helpful for, for people to hear how much the very best in the world uh, struggle. And I guess there's sort of a part of me that, you know, I know that we love to, tell each other about how pumped up we are and how motivated we are and how tough we are and how resilient we are. Um, and I do understand that part of the performance uh, e equation, but um, I think doing that at the expense of not acknowledging that we're human, that, um, you know, we kind I believe, like I believe somewhere along the way, we kind of made this agreement, you know, somewhere in some stratosphere that when we did, when we decided to, you know, be humans, that we accepted that the human brain would join us on this journey and that, okay, maybe the brain doesn't always make that very easy um, for our whole life. I mean, as long as we're here, our brain is going with us. Right. And that means that we're going to have some challenges to work with that go with that. We're going to have doubts. Um, we're going to have tough moments. We're going to question whether we're doing things the right way. Um, another thing is, I mean, that, you know, we also came from somewhere, like we came from these, you know, a, a generation of our family and certain things have come down, um, been passed down through our generations that is very hard for us to kind of reflect upon and, and get in touch with, but it's still a part of who we are and how we make decisions and why we feel, uh, un why we uniquely feel certain ways about the situations that we do. And I don't think any of it's a problem. I think the only problem is pretending that it's not a problem or that it's not there. 
I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that always just sort of scares me on this topic is the idea of suppressing anything, whether we suppress something as an individual or we suppress something as a culture, a community, a country. Uh, it's, this is, this is really tough. This is scary. I actually see this topic of suppression a little bit differently being in America and living in Spain where, um, you know, not having been from here, I sort of see some of the cultural suppression that has happened here over the years and been passed down through, through generations very differently than in the United States, where it's very hard for me to, to kind of appreciate those, um, some of those issues and challenges in the same way, because like, I'm so deeply connected to it. Not as much here. So you sort of notice it better, which just sort of sends the alarm bells off for me. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I think that, I think you're right with like the mental health side of things. People are so afraid to speak out and it's really, really great. Um, and, and I will have to, um, you'll have to send me that link to, um, uh, to Michael Phelps, um, thing. Or I'll have to look it up. Um, yes. I mean, I mean, these people at the top level, there's, you know, some of us is, you know, is every, everyday Americans or whatever think like, wow, he had so many gold medals. He did this. He did that. But what it comes down to is he's still a human. He still faces the same fears and adaptations that, you know, that everybody else does. Right. So I think that that's really, really cool that um, that you have those conversations and, and that we're that we're kind of talking about the mental health side of things, too, because I think it, it's so important. Um, so talking about mental health, I know that being out in nature, you said was something that's important. I know that that helps me with some of my uh, yeah. sanities, right. And you said that, and I think it's cool that you said something about, uh, a re the relationship with nature. Cause I never thought of it as like, you're almost having a relationship with nature as another human being. Is that right. And, and to jump into a little further before we, before we started, uh, before we hit record, could you tell everybody where you are right now and, and what that means to you? And also Joe is the first international podcast that I've done. So this is, oh. uh, <laughs> so this has been great, but tell everybody where you're currently sitting right now. Good. I, I can definitely link all of these things together, I think, pretty succinctly. So I am in my home in the uh, Spanish state of Catalonia uh, in a town called La Seu d'Urge, which is um, a town of 12, a Catalan town of 12,000 people, about two and a half hours north of Barcelona, very close to the French border. And the Pyrenees are right outside the window. Also right outside my window, literally, I look straight up at the start line of the 1992 Olympic Whitewater Canoeing Channel, where my canoe partner and I, my canoe partner, Scott Strasbaugh, and I won America's first ever Olympic gold medal in the sport of whitewater canoe slalom. And so I, that's kind of out my window every day. But what is, we talked about nature and, you know, it, and the, the relationship to nature. The way I kind of look at my world is kind of, the intersection of three three circles, you know, capacity, managing energy, that's the first circle. Second circle is strategy. Uh, and then the third circle is relationships. I don't think there's anything super rocket science, science about you know, what I just said. I, I, I just think about them a little bit differently. And especially on relationships, it's not just how many people I can talk to. It's even more than just the depth of the people that I talk to, I actually count the relationship with nature as its own re relationship, like this living, breathing, changing um, um, role in my life. I mean, it, it, I mean, and I know that we all have um, 
a, uh, the way we behave and the way we act has a really big effect on how nature kind of how we treat nature is how nature is going to treat us back. Right. So nature is, 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 is its own relationship. So living here in the Pyrenees is absolutely wonderful. I mean, I run five or six days a week and a lot of my runs are, are actually up in the Pyrenees mountains and I run on the trails and, and, and I love that. And it's not just about getting out and disconnecting from all the work. And um, it's really just about achieving a sense of being, not even the doing part. Like I know that there's a very physical part of what I do. And it's taken me a long time, Tyler, to kind of like any relationship. It just, it evolves over time. Like I don't think I thought about nature when I was 40 the same way I did when I was 50. And so, um, yeah, I acknowledge that every day in my life, you know, because relationships are, are, are so important to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm in a place where I can embrace that in a deep and meaningful way. And, and that's really helpful to me. And if, if nature and I have a good thing going, I believe that kind of comes out in the way that I interact with other people, like the way you and I have a call today. I, I hope I'm in a, just in a little bit better place because of the time I spent outside in the mountains uh, earlier today. Wow. And that is incredible. And you could feel that energy too. I mean, I'm so excited to go for a run today now because I would not <laughs> think about, I mean, when I go out, stop outside, I think I'm going to have a whole new perspective of just, just being and just trying to be present. And, um, and we'll, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll let you know how that, that run goes later well, on. It, Tyler, Tyler, just, you know, two quick things that I would say about, about that is that number one is that you don't have to be in the middle of nowhere to, um, to embrace that relationship with, with nature. I mean, I've literally had conversations with clients that live in Krakow, Poland, in the middle of a big city that it's like, look, if you are in Boston, Massachusetts, and if you walk out your front door and there's like a leaf there, you can find a connection with that leaf on the sidewalk. I mean, it, it, it comes from something. It, it's, it's a part of something. And secondly, when it, I should say, I, I don't expect other people to kind of go do quite what I do in this area. But I think that if you do exercise a lot, I, if you take a watch or some measurement device or a phone or, or earbuds into, onto your runs or into your time in nature, I would definitely encourage like just once a week, take nothing. Don't time anything. Don't measure anything. I haven't worn a watch or a measuring device or anything on a run in um, over a year and a half. And, um, you know, I run, I, I can, I do fine in my running in terms of when I do race, my results are good. I'm happy with what I do. I just don't care like what pace I'm doing or how many calories I'm burning or how many steps. Like, none of that matters to me. And yet, you know, I seem to do fine qualifying for the Boston Marathon if, you know, if that's something that's important to me or doing well in a mountain trail run. I think what's important to me when I go run and the reason that I use no technology ever is that um, I'm just really trying to listen to two things. One is the voice of nature and two is my own voice. And I just don't want to interrupt those things with anything else. I, I know that a lot of other people rely on technology differently and believe me to do what I just told you. Like I had to go through phases of my life where I measured everything. I over measured everything. And then that kind of led me more to the, the other extreme of really measuring nothing. And, I, and I, right now I'm in this phase where I love measuring nothing. 
Wow. I love that. I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you that I am going to, I'm still going to wear my Apple watch, but I'm going to go no headphones, no phone on my run today. And I will see, I will let you know, give you the feedback of, of how that goes. I, I have done it a couple of times, but I feel like sometimes in, in, in other people too, probably relate to this, like try to do that to just distract you. You know, you try to listen to something for a distraction, yeah. but what you're saying is embrace those things that you may be trying to distract yourself from. Right. In, in a very respectful way, like I, my question then becomes, well, what exactly are you trying to distract yourself from? I mean, what, I mean, what's the answer to that? I mean, once we start to talk about that, then it's like we don't have to avoid it by like filling our ears or our senses with something else. We can actually lean into it and work with it. Like that's literally what we do on the river. We don't try to avoid rocks. You know, we, rocks are an opportunity. Rocks channel the water that we want to paddle. We don't paddle rivers like we're trying to stay as far away from rocks as possible. We go close to the rocks because they are a source of energy and they're a source of channeling the water the way where we want to go. And I think relative to technology, right now outside my window, um, there's a lot of international athletes out on the water that are getting ready for a big international race here on the Olympic Channel tomorrow. And those co the coaches that are out there, they have video cameras and they have watches and there's a lot of measuring devices and they're needed. I mean, they play a role in the sport. One of the things when I coach athletes that I kind of ask myself, well, what can I do that brings something different, a different perspective to the athletes? And so what I've done is that I don't bring any technology to the water when I coach. And it's really strange for the athletes because they're so used to being timed on every run. You know, they, they need something that tells them, am I doing better or am I worse? So the reason that I don't bring technology is that I just want to be able to ask them the question after they've paddled a section of the river is, um, you know, how do, we didn't measure anything. How did it feel? And all they can do is just sort of lean into their senses. Well, it felt like this or it felt like that. And you just see they never do that. But it, what that does is it increases their sense of connection to the river instead of connecting to this metric. Did I go a little faster or did I go a little slower? I'm not saying one is better or worse. I just know as a coach, if I'm going to bring something different, I just want the athletes to think, uh, to consider what they have to work with. They don't need a time, a number, a metric to tell them in absolute terms if they're going better or not. That if you just work with a sense of feel with the river, this river is this super powerful medium in our life. And, you know, why would we just cover up that force with, I don't know, artificial numbers, not artificial, but just numbers and metrics that just right. create distraction and noise. It just there's a balance in there somewhere. And I, I just think I know how much metric and metrics and measurement is happening. I, I just play the counterpoint and in my coaching practice that that works really well for my, my clients. Yeah. And if you're seeing the results too, I mean, obviously you got to keep doing that. And that seems, that seems like it's incredible. Now I want to jump well, in. Or, oh, go or, ahead. Or, or finding ways to evolve and, and, and go deeper with it. You know, I mean, I think st I still have elite athlete tendencies and mindsets in me that I don't like want to stay st like I want to, I love what I do, but you know, one of the things we say at Valor Performance, like, you know, I love what I do, but I kind of hold it gently. I, it's, a, it's not a tight grip. I hold it gently. I'm very open 
to new ideas and, and, and change and experimenting with, with different mindsets and, uh, um, and strategies. That is so good. Now, I want to jump back. I know you said something about how, how the rocks, maybe some people could see them as an obstacle, but you, you kind of take them as more of that's part of the way. How do you yes. overcome some of the obstacles in your life, not, not speaking on just the water, but just in general? Mm. I mean, some people may see something as an obstacle, but do you see it differently? Well, I think that um, one of the things that, that I've spent a lot of time doing is that I transfer all these lessons that I've learned out on the river to my life. And I, I try my best. I'm not always, per I have this human brain, so I'm not always perfect on doing it. Right. But really this idea about the rocks, it is just so counterintuitive. Um, look, people are, you have this moving water, this moving force of energy. And most people just want to get the rapid over with as quickly as possible. They just want to like tuck into a little ball and come out in the calm water and just get through it. And um, look, I, I don't want to live life like that. I, I want to learn how to paddle the rapids better and to navigate the river of life better. And so this metaphor about the rocks is really important. And when you talk about obstacles, what the rocks teach you is that as you move closer to the rocks, I mean, this is just straight hydrology now. If you have a river flowing into a stationary object, the, the upstream side, the front side of that rock is this hard, immovable surface. And yeah, it's scary. You like, you wouldn't be fun to hit it. So the river energy kind of piles up on the front of the rock, but it is energy, which means it moves. And ultimately that energy is going to be released right around the sides of the rock and it's going to be released fast. So I know that where the rocks are, there's fast water to work with. And this is why like so many people now, let's just say that obstacle is like, I don't know, just something you've been putting off. Like maybe it's, it's like getting out of a negative relationship and we're just so worried about it. Like, you know, we, we paddle really close to the shore where there's a lot of shallow shoals and your canoe is like dragging and getting raked over the rocks and cause you're avoiding. And typically what happens is that when you confront your obstacles in a, uh, in, in, in an open and a respectful and thoughtful way, typically what you find is you find faster river current to work with river current that's faster than you. So I think the big thing is, and this is just, a, I'm a work in progress with this, whether it's like with negative relationships or, or, um, or, or eating better foods or things like that. I, I just think that the more that you put yourself in the position to confront your obstacles, you're more likely to find faster river current with which to align. And that's it. I mean, I, and the more that I've done that in the past, you know, two years of my life, the happier that I've been. Um, and I, I think whether that's in creativity, whether that's in health and wellness, or whether that's in relationships, or whether that's in business, um, developing um, a coaching practice, it, you, you can't avoid these obstacles. It's not much fun paddling the river when you're getting raked over the shoals and your canoe is like dragging over the rocks. Wow. I love that piece of advice because I think a lot of people do try to take the easy road and do take that, 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 um, shallow water. So I think that yes. that's a really, really cool thing. That's a great analogy. And I, I can't wait to share this with, uh, with everybody. That's, that's so good. So I want to jump in before, you know, I want to talk more about the Olympics right now. Um, before you went to the Olympics, before you got the gold, I mean, 
when did you know you wanted to do this or when do you had an aptitude to try to start going? Like, what did that journey look like? Well, Tyler, I was so lucky and on a couple of fronts that, uh, first of all, um, if we talk about the Malcolm Gladwell outliers way of the world, I don't know if you read the book is a wonderful, it's a really wonderful book, very entertaining and great stories, of course. And, um, the book is really about these fortuitous circumstances you have in your life. And I I grew up in the Washington DC area at, um, you know, at a time, well, most people wouldn't consider growing up in Washington, D.C. these days as a fortuitous uh, circumstance. Believe it or not, in the world of canoeing, it was unbelievably fortuitous. So I was in my early teenage years in the early 1980s. And at this time, the U.S. whitewater team, whitewater canoeing team, which was not it was not an Olympic sport. It was not on the Olympic program in the 1980s. The best you could do is you could be world champion, but not Olympic champion. And so it was really nice just growing up in a sport that didn't have any fame or fortune or money or support the athletes that were out there on the river, on the Potomac river, they were there because they really wanted to be there. They just loved the act. They loved the sport. They loved the camaraderie. They loved the activity. And then uh, it just so happened that the U S whitewater team was the best team in the world and had this super high performance training culture. And I got introduced into this group when I was 12 or 13 years old, not because I was good. I, I cannot say enough. I, there was, you could have looked at me at that, that time and you would not have really thought I was very athletic. I, had, I was much more of a spectator sports fan than a participant uh, sort of sports athlete. And, um, but I had t- picked up kayaking at summer camp. Um, sometimes when you're 10, 11 years old, when you're, you find you're good at something, whether you like it or not, when you're 10 or 11, you kind of just like the idea of being good. Right. And so uh, I found my way into one of these U.S. Whitewater team workouts, and um, I just love the people, uh, being around those people. And the sport, when it was added to the Olympic program in uh, the fall of um, 1989, sorry, the spring, early spring of 1989, uh, my canoe partner and I were already performing well in the sport. We had won medals in World Cup competitions and uh we were about to have a pretty good breakout year in 1980 later that summer in 1989. And so we said, well, let's just, we'll hang around. We'll paddle for a couple more years and give this Olympic thing a go. But what I love about my Olympic experience was that winning the Olympics was never a part of the dream. And the, at best, it was about winning medals in world cup and world championships competitions and just really embracing the culture of paddling rivers our sport's different today. We've, we've been on the Olympic program every year since 1992, and our sport looks a lot different today than it did in 1989. And I think the progress is great, but the culture of rivers, of natural flowing rivers, is not a part of the sport anymore. The sport is all about these human-made concrete whitewater channels. And I mean, we have a lot of Olympic champions and Olympic medalists now that spend virtually no time paddling on a natural river. And, you know, I find that to be uh, a little bit of a shame. It's sort of the roots of our sport. But on the other hand, we have these amazing whitewater channels in big cities like London or Vienna or in the United States and Charlotte, North Carolina and Oklahoma City. 
And it's pretty neat to have these whitewater channels right in the middle of major urban areas. It, it does provide a, a different kind of opportunity for people to get involved in, and see what moving water feels like in a kayak, a raft, a boogie board, which would have been much harder to do back in the 1980s. Absolutely. So what my major, my major takeaway from that was, was that you started doing it because it was a true passion and you love to do it. And then over time, that passion just grew into excellence. And that's ultimately how you, you know, became an Olympic champion then, right? Is that, is that? Yeah. The Olympic part really happened relatively late in the game. I mean, I was young when we won the Olympics, but I was really young when I started paddling with this group. But I mean, I was very lucky to grow up with all these world champions. I, I, I I really say, I mean, it, it, would have been like being 12 years old and getting to go play basketball every day with like Russell Westbrook and uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and being coached by Phil Jackson. And I, I you know, I, I had no, like from an athletic standpoint, just had no business being at these workouts, but I liked the people and they were okay having me around. And what was really nice is that you just see that these world champions and world medalists, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, like everyone else. And what's also kind of amazing that almost every one of the world medalists that was at my first training session that I went to when I was 13 years old, nearly every one of them was my teammate at the 1992 Olympics or had retired and become one of my coaches. And so, yeah, that, that culture kind of stayed in place for, um, for a long, you know, stays in place for a long time. I, I, I do. I like that. I like that part of the sport as well. So before I I jump off of the Olympic side of things, how did it feel when they were hanging that gold medal around your neck? Like, what was that feeling or playing, playing the anthem? Like, take me back to that moment. I, I I so wish I had like a, a, a better, more exciting, more interesting answer. The thing is about the Olympic medal ceremony that there's, uh, and by the way, I've lived this through two very different states. In 2008, I was the uh, color commentator for the sport of canoeing for NBC Olympics in Beijing, China. So I was like the global storyteller of the sport. It was my job to get everyone super excited about this idea. Who's going to win an Olympic medal today and who's not? And okay, so that makes a lot of anticipation about the medal ceremony. But for the athletes, it's just the last thing that they're thinking about. All you can't control. You may want to win a gold medal, but it does no good to think about the gold medal because you can't affect the performance of the French boat, of the Czech boat, of the German boat, of the British boat. It can only affect your own performance. So you're just trying to do the best you can with what you have. And it's not just on the day of the Olympics you think like this. You've been thinking about like this for more than 10 years of your life. The river has taught you every time that you start thinking about results that the river finds a way to kick you in the butt. And um, so you really try to focus on controlling the controllables. And so honestly, in a lot of ways, the medal ceremony just happens so quickly. I mean, there are things that I remember about it. Of course, it's a wonderful feeling. I think in a lot of ways, you, you process it over time. I mean, I think there's still days where I, I kind of process what it means. I don't want to make it sound like I, I think about it so much, even with this venue right outside my window. I didn't come here to Lasso to relive this great moment in my life. I came here because living in a, another country far from the United States where 
I immerse myself in a different culture, a different language. It forces me to grow and learn in ways that I never imagined that I could. My move to Catalonia was a quality of life adventure that forces me to, like when I wake up in the morning, I've told, I tell this story a lot. There's this moment where I'm kind of tuning into my days here in Laseo where, you know, it's like the engines of the cars are wired a little bit differently or the smells, you know, outside are a little bit differently. And then you start hearing a few people talk and you're kind of waking up and you're thinking, what's that language that's being spoken outside of my door? And then it's just three or four seconds go by and you're like, oh yeah, I'm on that. I'm on that journey. And that's when you sort of tune in and, uh, and you're, you realize, okay, you, your brain shifts back into learning mode. That's the real beauty of what I'm doing right now. I, I don't think a lot about the Olympic experience and, and what I did previously. Um, what I do think about is how to transfer the ideas, the ideology, the mindsets, the strategy, the ways we manage energy, how to transfer that so that almost anyone that wants to bring focus to what matters most in their life without compromising their life can do that. And that's what you do. I think this is a, a perfect segue into what you're doing right now with your coaching. Mm. Business. What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. I think every time that I, um, I initiate a coaching relationship or uh, have an intake call or see if there's fit and alignment with a client, um, I, I'm so privileged. I've worked with world-class doctors, sales and technology leaders, uh, sales coaches. And the idea is that I I really, I didn't go to med school. I don't know anything about technology. I coach on the, on the basis of an exchange of ideas. And we have to have that, that, that agreement on an exchange of ideas, ideas that I can bring from high performance sport, and that a doctor can bring from high-performance medicine. And, oh my gosh, the connection that we make out of that is so powerful. I think one of the stories that, that I like to tell, Tyler, is that you know, under every Team USA uniform is a person. And underneath every white jacket of a doctor is a human being. And I think that once we kind of take off our, our, our shields and our armor and all of our uniforms that kind of identify us that it turns out that most of the doctors that I work with want very much the same things the rest of us do that to be more present when we walk through the door um, when we come home or to be um, working not feeling so burned out you know in, in, in our careers or having more energy or bringing more passion to our relationships and it, it's just talking on, on the basis of a transfer of ideas. And clearly, you know, these transfers work um, really well. And so that's what I do. And I find that the kind of things that when I feel like when I'm doing my job well, I, the coaching format that I enjoy the most is one-to-one coaching, more so than, than group formats. Um, I think building the space, you know, co-creating the space with the client that is very safe, trusting, uh, uh, reflective, confidential, uh, collaborative. When we do that, and it takes a little bit of time to get that going, but once we do that, um, I think 
that's when the coaching relationship really starts to uh, take care of itself. And I think that's the time when people really start, I kind of just hold up that mirror, so to speak, that allows people to maybe see blind spots that they didn't recognize without this space. And um, that's, that's what I do in, in my coaching practice. And it's worked out really well for me. And um, I love the clients that I, work, that, that I work with, whether it's in sales and technology or whether it's with, with doctors. I learn so much in, in that process. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Wow. And it's no secret that you're an absolute learner from, from uh, you know, it seems like you're very curious and want to continue to educate yourself, not only what you're just living in Spain, it sounds like you're continually educating yourself day in and day out, but through your work as well and through these athletes. So this is, this has been incredible. Did you have anything else to add to that? Well, I, I was just going to add, I think this is really interesting, Tyler. I mean, we did hit record on this conversation where a lot of people can listen to our conversation. But the thing is, we could have not recorded this conversation. You and I would have enjoyed it just as much. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Had we not recorded this conversation, the truth is that you and I would have been just a little bit different than we were before we came into this conversation. And so even though we recorded it, we're going to be a little bit different as we go about the rest of our days. And, you know, my, uh, the CEO and founder of Valor Performance, the company where I do most of my coaching work, Sarah Mildy, likes to talk about the ripple effect. And that's exactly what that is. Two people can have a very thoughtful, respectful, trusting, collaborative, safe conversation. And it, no one has to know about it. And yet, because of the change that we set inside of each other, when we have these kind of conversations, we set about changes in the world that um, are, to me, a lot more meaningful than having a thousand likes on an Instagram post. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I don't, that's I don't. just this really shallow kind of strong form, like, hey, like thumbs up, way to go versus I, my whole thing is more depth, less width, go deeper with fewer people and you will see much more profound change. Um, at least that's you know my belief. I know there are a few influencers out there that probably get by and do very well by going like a little more shallow with a lot wider breath with more people. Right. But look, at this stage of my life, there's no way I'm, I'm going back to that. I, I just love the, the depth over with concept and just going deeper with one person like we've been doing today. Yeah. And, and I, I truly believe that too. I mean, and that's, that's why um, that's, that's one of my core beliefs also. And I think that's why we're able to have such a great conversation too, because like I literally, I tell people all the time, I don't care how many likes I get on this. I don't care you know, the purpose of my podcast and, and why I do this is to help people. If I, it means so much more to me, if one person reaches out to me and says, Hey, that conversation with you and Joe was incredible. And I'm asking anybody who's listened um, here to let me know and let, so I could let Joe know that, that we did have a ripple um, in, in what you're doing. Um, Cause I know that he's going to feel some fulfillment with that too, but this is, I can I tell you that you, just to interrupt your conversation with, with Rich Cardona had a ripple effect on me. Right. I mean, that was, that podcast was absolutely wonderful. You know, listening to you guys talk about video and, and he, you actually asked him, and I'll tell you exactly what the ripple effect was in that conversation. You asked him about goals and he said, no goals, habits. Remember that? Of course. That's what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. 
this is what I'm talking. This is like, I, I, it was like, I wish I could tell people that like, this was completely set up. It was not, you know, it's like when you asked me about having a conversation, I listened to the rich. Uh, and by the way, I want to listen to the Me Megan O'Reilly uh, one as well. That, yes. Yeah, that, that's, that one is, is, is going to be next on my list of, of, of your podcast to listen to. But that was the, the moment with the Rich podcast is like, because that's in that aligns with me, not goals, habits or not goals, themes. Yeah, I mean, goals are these things that we don't yet have. Like, why do we put so much emphasis like in thinking about our goals all the time? I understand why we have them, but holding on to them so with like this clutch, ah, and I you know, and too. so that, that's the ripple effect. And thank you so much for letting me know that because that's truly what the, this, the essence of why I'm doing this is. I don't care about the likes. I don't care about the shares. You know, um, I say too, you know, if my wife is the only one who shares this, you know, that's great too, right? Like, I, but it's all about trying to help people. And for you to tell me that that meant something to you truly means the world to me as well. So thank you so much for, for letting me know that. And please let us know um, what you got out of this, this, this uh, conversation because I cannot wait to, to listen back to this. I, I try to take notes on every single episode that I can so that I could learn as much as I can. That's the whole purpose is to, to to learn and to give back. So Joe, a couple more, couple quick questions. And, and thank you so much again. Um, I try to ask questions to, uh, to all of my guests. Number one, I told you I was going to ask you this one. What is the best piece of parenting advice you have as the 20% podcast? You said your daughter is turning 20, I believe this weekend. Yeah, she'll be 20 years old tomorrow. So she's active in the sport of, of whitewater canoeing as well. I, I have coached her um, in the past, but I guess my advice would be, I, I figured out when she was a baby that I, what I really wanted out of my experience in nature and on rivers with my daughter is that I didn't really have this big desire to coach her. I just wanted to enjoy paddling a river with her. And when that time came, and so that means uh, you let other people coach your kids. <laughs> That's my advice. Like let other people coach their kids and get a lot of different kinds of coaches. Like this is, you know, it's, it's just like everything. I think being exposed to a lot of different coaching styles and um, different coaches have different strengths and weaknesses. Not everyone is right uh, for everyone, but you also learn a lot from coaches that, especially in sport and as kids that you think aren't really right for you. You actually, a lot of, many times you discover uh, later in life that they were absolutely what you needed. It just wasn't at the time. It was just, you needed it 20 years later in your life. Right. Wow. Don't I, coach your kids. I love that advice. That is great. My final <laughs> question to you is, and uh, you know, I asked Joe DeSena this uh, a couple of days ago, um, the CEO of Spartan, I, I ask every single guest this as well. Um, if you were teaching a college 101 class based upon your life experience, what would the topic be and why would you teach it? I have been living in this uh, Spanish state of Catalonia now for three and a half years. I've been coming here, you know, for more than 30 years now. And it's right set in the Pyrenees Mountains. And my observation about the culture here is that the people live in a way that I, uh, I call it simple, slower, and less. And that would be the name of my, my course. That would be, you know, simple, slower, and less 101. We would just go do deep dive. Not that I think that everyone needs to live by these words, simple, slower, and less. 
But even as I've met high performers who have very ambitious goals uh, to sell a lot of product or to get a lot of leads or to make a lot of whatever, or make a lot of money, whatever that is, it's not doing more, going faster and coming up with more complex systems. So often it's about slowing down and perfecting your technique, uh, just getting rid of the junk and the distractions so that you have less but essential kind of right and in front of you. And then the concept of simple just sort of speaks for itself. And I think simple, slower, and less can be really emerges in three forms. It can be uh, like a lens just to sort of look at your goal through the simple, slower, and less lens. What does that look like? It can be a mindset of sort of how you try to work when you're kind of in peak mode. And for some people, but not many, but for some people, it can literally be a way of life. For me, it's a way of life. Uh, you know, I can organize my life in a way that I just sort of know what I want at the stage of my life. And um, those words are very helpful in setting that up for me. That would, that would be my, my course, my 101 way to live course, simple, slower, and less. I love that, Joe. Joe, thank you so much for your time. Where could people learn more about you and everything you have going on right now? Uh, you know, I think, uh, especially for our podcast, I, LinkedIn is is a place where I'm a little bit um, uh, busier than most places. But probably the best way is that if you go to joejacobi.com, J-O-E-J-A-C-O-B-I.com, it's a very, very simple website, has almost nothing on it. But if you just click on Sunday Morning Joe, that is my weekly uh, new uh, articles that I've been writing for over six years now. Uh, it's just grown like crazy. I don't, it's not a business development thing. I write every week about um, performing your best, um, uh, improving, just improving performance, overcoming challenge, and aligning with purpose. And I write from my heart. I often share stories from the river and applied to doing better in life. I also share um, a lot of um, uh, stories and thoughts about my life here in Catalonia, again, transferred uh, to living a little better and, uh, and, and doing a little bit better, business and life. And so, yeah, subscribing to Sunday Morning Joe is, is, is a great way to connect and LinkedIn. Very good. And you have another subscriber in me as well. So I know that there's going to be other people. Joe, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Tyler. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I hope you guys all got as much out of it as I did. If you enjoyed the show, please share it along with your friends as that's the best way that we can spread all this incredible information from our guests. If you'd leave a review of the show on Apple or Spotify, it would mean the absolute world to me. Until next time, cheers.